you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to open up to Acts chapter 2. Um, if you are fairly new with us or have just been here the past couple weeks or are visiting this Sunday, one of the things you need to know is that uh, over the next three months we're going to do something a little bit different than we normally do. Normally, uh, we go verse by verse uh, through books of the Bible. We spent, I think, three years in the book of Romans. We spent this summer going through the book of Daniel. The elders, as we are completing um, a pastoral transition, the elders have asked Gary and I to kind of talk about uh, church distinctives. And so what we're going to be doing is you're still going to get sermons from the Bible. That's going to be a point that I'm going to make today, that all sermons should be from the Bible. Uh, But but they're going to be a little more topical. So they're going to be expository sermons from various places within the New Testament with us sharing with you, why do we do what we do? Why is it that we order our services the way we order them? Why is it that we take up a benevolence offering? Why is it that we do some of these things? Uh, And and part of this is because this church has been uh, structured and taught so well over the years that the elders kind of wanted to punctuate um, Gary's full-time status with us with uh, an exclamation point of, here's why we do what we do. Here's what we have been taught. And one of the reasons this is so important is it only takes one generation. It only takes one generation for things to kind of fall away and for things to go in ways uh, that they shouldn't be going. And um, you, can, you could go to a lot of gatherings around this city this morning and what you would be experiencing are things that um, I, I would even say that there are a lot of gatherings that really maybe aren't really doing church this morning. They think they're doing church, but in reality, when we look at the scriptures, they're doing something different. And so part of the goal as as your pastors is making sure that we stay on track and that we're held accountable by you with what we're doing. So this morning, we're going to be in the book of Acts. And and we find ourselves, or the the writer here, Luke, as he is uh, giving us the account of what is happening, finds himself in an interesting day and time where Jesus had, was raised from the dead, he had come back, he had interacted with the apostles and some others, and then he, was, he ascended into heaven, and the apostles were left there, and uh, then they were told, what are you doing? You know, and they went and they prayed, and they were praying for uh, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and immediately they began proclaiming the gospel, and as they were proclaiming the gospel, that's where we find ourselves this morning, Thousands of people were coming to know the Lord. Thousands of people were accepting that Jesus was the Messiah. He is the Christ. And I want you to think about for a moment, I don't know what your uh, conversion experience was like. I was raised in the church, and so um, uh, when, when I came to faith at nine years old, I didn't have to think a whole lot about where am I going to go to church, or, or what do I do next. It was kind of told to me what that was like. Many of you may have experienced that. Some of you, however, this is what I want you to think about a little bit. Some of you uh, may have been saved, brought to the Lord completely outside the walls of the church, and so here you are, a new believer, and you're asking the question, now what? What do I do? Where do I go? And, and, And that's an important question, Because when we start thinking about that question, I want you to put yourself in that place and begin begin asking yourself 
the question, what's important for that new believer to know? What kind of gathering of people or church would you want that person to be a part of? As I said, I think there's much confusion over this today. One of the joys, uh, it was the first, I think it was the first year I was here, um, I went to Haiti with our youth, and there were several college students, and one of the, this just warmed my heart. I was, we were, we were traveling, I forget where we were at the time, uh, in those days there, was, there were long car rides followed by um, plane rides that were longer than they needed to be because they were on, in 1940 something planes, traveling really slow. <laughs> but the co- cool thing about that is you, as a pastor, I overheard a lot of conversations and some of our college students were there and what warmed my heart is they were talking about their search for church, uh, for a church in a, a distant city. And so here they were, they were conversing about, here's what they liked about this church, here's what they didn't like about this church. And my heart just was filled with joy because they were thinking about the right things. As they were talking and talking about what they were looking for, the categories were, were correct. And, and I was just like, man, this church, the teaching and the preaching of this church and, and in the homes... What's going on is that these, these young kids have been pointed in the right direction and my heart was filled with hope because they were looking for the right things. If you don't know what the church is or what it should be about, what kind of church do you think you would stumble into? And it probably reflects on kind of who I am, but uh, you know, I thought about you probably would look for a church that um, uh, looked a whole lot like you are, you know. So you know, I like to run, I like to ride bicycles, and so I may look for a church filled with a lot of people who run and ride bicycles. Or you know, uh, one of the things that goes on a lot today is that, you know, you have a lot of church who offer you a lot of things. I was going to say gives the most bang for your buck. Um, and that may happen, um, that you get certain entry level. That, no, we're not going to. But you understand what I mean. There are a lot of churches that offer a lot of things to you and to your family. But one of the things I would, and that's fine. But one of the things I would ask is, is that, is that what's informing your decision for you to gather up with these folks and do church together? So as we're looking for the, the now what, or as we're looking at what should the church be like, I thought it would be good for us to go to Acts chapter 2 and see what the earliest, I have to define this correctly, New Testament church looked like. We could spend a whole lot of time arguing, and, and, and I think there's not much of an argument that the church existed before Christ, before the New Testament, before Christ came to the earth in the New Testament, that the church already existed. But what I want to look at, because what we are doing, is what does the first New, Chest, New Testament church look like? Now, one of the things you need to know is that when you are looking at the book of Acts, a lot of people get confused when they study the book of Acts. And the confusion comes over this. Much of the book of Acts is descriptive. So it's describing what was going on at the time. Meaning, 
Meaning, where the confusion comes in is that some people look at the whole book of Acts as prescriptive of what should you be doing now. Now, we could go through many examples of this. All that I want to say to you is this. As we look, and as Luke is describing the first gathering of New Testament believers here in the book of Acts, he is describing to us what's going on. But what you're going to get over the next several months is us going to the epistles, and the epistles uh, tell us a lot more. As a church, you should be doing this. You should not be doing this. Order yourself this way. Do this. Do that. And what you're going to see this morning as we look into, in the book of Acts, that from the very beginning, this description is a lot like a prescription of what we should be. It's not a one-for-one, but there are some great things here, and I want you to be able to dig in so that we can understand what the church is. So we're not going to go in detail over these things because we're going to do that in the upcoming months. So the first thing I want you to notice is, um, what is the makeup of the church? And we saw this through from verse 37. Listen again. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, each of you. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the, as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. Now, it's interesting. In the New Testament, the word most commonly used for church is a, is a word, ecclesia, and that word means the called out ones. The, the, the called out ones. In verse 37 through 41, what we see is that these people that we're going to look at, what they did when they gathered together, these were people who had believed in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of their souls. I know you may say, well, duh, Lewis, but we have to start here. The church, the church is made up of believers. The church is not made up of non-believers. Gary, um, a couple weeks ago, said this, and I, he's absolutely right, that we as a people, Christians, those who have put their faith in Christ, we are the church, and when we meet in a building, we're bringing the church with us. When this place is empty, and, and it's okay to use the word church, but it's not the church. The church are the people who inhabit the building. And, and when we talk about the church, there's two ways the Bible talks about church. One is what's called the Big C, or the Catholic Church, and get the idea of the Roman Catholic Church out of your mind for a minute. What that means is the universal church. So every believer who exists, when they are saved, are saved to become, and they do become a part of the church. So that if we flew halfway around the world today and joined um, some of our missionaries in Jordan, for example and we gathered with them, we belong to the same church, the universal church, the bride of Christ. All of His beloved. Now, when we read the New Testament, and as we see here in the book of Acts, not only is there the big 
um, ultimate bride of Christ, the church. But the Bible also talks about the gathering of believers in what we often say in our vernacular, the local church. Meaning smaller gatherings of believers who gather together for a purpose. And we're going to look at some of those purposes. And so that's where we get Signal Mountain Bible Church. In the book of Revelation, you know, John writes to several different churches. He's not talking about the universal church there. He's writing to specific uh, local gatherings of believers. Now, we see both of these in the New Testament. And let's not miss this because it's vitally important that the idea that the church is made up of believers, and, and here's where this is important, because this affects what we do when we gather together. Now, I'm going to say something that's a little controversial in our day and age, but I'm going to say it because I believe it, right? And you may say, well, Lewis, what are, what are you meaning by that? And here's one of the things that I mean. When we meet and we gather and we sing, what is the purpose of believers gathering together to sing? To give praises and glory to God. There are many churches around when they meet and they sing, they sing secular music. Do you know what the motivation for that is? The motivation is to bring non-believers into the church and try to inoculate them with the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that's a I'm not saying trying to witness to a non-believer in the in the building that we call a church is a bad thing. What I'm saying is that the idea I would call that an evangelistic event, not a church event. Do you understand what I mean by that? There's a distinction there. The church is a group of believers gathering together doing things. And and so when we order what that looks like, we're knowing that this is the church, the body of believers. Now, you may be asking, Lewis, does this mean that non-believers can't come in here on Sunday mornings? No, that's not what I'm meaning. But what I am saying is that when a non-believer comes and is among us, what we want them leaving saying is something like this, man, those people are odd. They really love that God and that Jesus person they're talking about. It also means that a non-believer may not understand all the things that are being taught from this stage, and that's okay. That's okay. We want non-believers here. What we want the non-believer to be attracted to is the hope that lies within us that is unexplainable. That's what we're wanting them to be attracted to. So I hope and I pray that every Sunday that non-believers are here and I hope they're here and they hear the gospel and they hear things and their minds are blown and they're like, man, all these people are a lot different and it's weird that they're all together and they seem to love each other and they seem to love God and I want to know more about that. This is why as well, the church being made up of believers, that if you want to, and we'll talk about church membership down the road, but if you want to join our church... You have to go through a new members class, and at the, at the end of the new members class, what we do is we ask you your testimony, because if you're a non-believer, you aren't a member of the church. It's not that you can't be, you aren't. And that's no slight on anybody. Again, if there's a non-believer here this morning, my heart is for you to be saved. I'll tell you something that's interesting. If you read the history of revivals or read books where revivals have taken place, 
One of the reasons that revivals have happened in churches is because they have missed this principle and have admitted uh, people into membership of churches who aren't believers. My dad pastored a church in Memphis and uh, brought in a group, and uh, I'll never forget, I was there, but I was young, but I'll never forget him talking about, uh, this was a typical Southern Baptist church, didn't have elders, they had deacons, and... um, and he said that they had an altar call and uh, the group that was there preaching, and, and he said that probably about high percentage of the membership of the church were coming forward and being saved. That included the chairman of the deacons and many of the other folks. So much so that as they were trying to counsel and talk to people at the front, he did not know who he could turn to to get to come and counsel these folks. But, and he realized at that point how the church that he was a part of in Memphis had been ordered wrongly. In fact, there are many stories. If you talk to pastors, um, I have many, many friends uh, who, because they do interviews for membership, that a lot of people come to know Christ in the new member class interviews. Because as they try to talk about their salvation, it's, it's realized, oh, this person's not a believer. So the church, we can't take that for granted. The church is made up of believers, and so it should be designed and guarded in that way. The second thing I want you to notice is this. Notice that here in the book of Acts, and all throughout the New Testament, that when God brings people to Himself, that when people are saved, they are saved into the body of Christ. So it's not that uh, BJ comes to know the Lord, and it's this individual thing, and he's left out here hanging solo and that this is what's supposed to happen in his life whenever we hear in the new testament and when we look at people being saved they're being saved into the church into the church that's what we're saved into and it has always been this way that when god called out a people in the old testament noticed he called out a people for himself not a person so the church is made up of believers who gather. And so what in the world, when these people gather, what in the world should they do? Let's look at what happened um, in this first New Testament church, starting in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Wouldn't this have been awesome? I mean, so what, what we get here is that, now we know what you should be going to in your mind, when we talk about devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, we talk about devoting ourselves to the Word, to the Bible. That the, we have the apostles' teaching, and we have um, other, the Old Testament, and we have the sacred writings that God has given us His very Word. Wouldn't it have been cool that when you, when you went on a Sunday morning that you got taught by Peter or John? That would have been really cool. You just get Gary and I. But they were devoting themselves. Notice they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That God had orchestrated the church in such that these apostles were going to give a word that came from Him to the hearers. And this is what they were needing. We are a Bible-teaching church. This is what I tell people. who People in the community will ask me, what kind of church are you? Uh, And I don't know what... I don't know what they're asking. I don't know if they're wanting me to give a definition of like Methodist, Baptist, Pentecost, whatever. 
But what I, here's what I tell them. I said, we are a Bible teaching church. In what we do in our Sunday schools, classes, in our, in our children's ministry, in our youth group, in the, in, the, in the preaching, we go verse by verse through the Bible because we believe that the Bible is God's authoritative word and that's what matters most to be proclaimed. And you can't imagine how many times I kind of get this thing of, huh. And they don't want to hear anymore. The reality is, Gary and I have nothing to say to you. You understand that? Gary and I have nothing to say to you that's of any eternal worth and value. Anything that's of worth and value that we have to say to you is from correctly dividing the Word of God and communicating God's Word to you. And it's interesting that the very first church were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Many of you know these verses in 2 Timothy as Paul was writing Timothy. uh, Starting in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, listen to this. It says, All Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Verse 4, chapter 4. I solemnly charge you, he's talking to Timothy who's pastoring a church. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Preach the Scriptures. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For there will be a time for, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. This is why we are a Bible-teaching church. Now, the, the next thing I want you to notice of, of what, what does this look like, what should this look like when we gather together, verse 42, verse 42 uh, I want you to notice two things here, two other things in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, this word here, this, this, this teaching and to fellowship, this word, this, this koinonia, this means this belonging together in something. And, and I've already said, and we see all throughout the New Testament, that God has given us to one another and that God wants us to meet together and to fellowship with one another. He's given us gifts. He's given us faith. He's given us encouragement. He's given us the, 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 the blessing to know that we're not alone in this journey. And these folks in Jerusalem... We're meeting together. We're fellowshipping together. We're sharing in all that they had. You know, I don't know if uh, next it says that they were breaking bread together and there's debate over what it, if this means that they were having the Lord's Supper together or if this means that they were eating together because later it seems, it seems that they were eating together. And the answer to this question is, I think, yes. And so I, so I think that the Lord's Supper... Baptism are two ordinances of the church. We're going to talk about that a little later, but I think they were practicing the Lord's Supper together from the very onset of meeting together. But I also think as part of that, they were also eating together. And if you grew up in a church, especially if you grew up in a Baptist church like I did, fellowship meant what? Eating. Yes, so we had um, 
On Wednesday nights, we had a fellowship meal in the fellowship hall. I mean, we were eating together. Now, I think this is a great idea. Still in the Middle Eastern culture, meal time is very, very important. It's more than just eating. It's a time of fellowshipping. It's a time of sharing together. Um, you know, one of the things that we do here at Single Mountain Bible Church to, to uh, try to promote fellowship along with food <laughs> is in the summer, once a month, we'll have a pavilion day where we bring a potluck. And it's not just about eating it's about gathering together, sharing a meal, and, and spending time with one another and sharing with one another. In our growth groups, th- this is supposed to be, part of this is supposed to be a time of fellowship as well. We have to fight to keep this as a part of our DNA, as a part of who we are as a church, because our culture pushes against this so much. Our culture is pushing us towards non-fellowship. Everything from the almost reached in my front pocket, it's in the back pocket when I preach, the, the smartphones, the technology, the busyness of our lives. You know, it is rare that families are eating together, much less gathering together with other folks and spending time and getting to know one another. That's one of the reasons for all the various meetings that we have, whether it's Titus 2 groups, whether it's the men's ministry planning uh, events, whether it's Bible studies on Thursdays here at the church or at Robin Reniger's home uh, for the women or the, the, the Bible study at 517 for men. It's, it's, it's about fellowship. It's about fellowship, and it's vitally important. The other thing that we see here is not only were they fellowshipping with one another, breaking bread with one another, but as they were fellowshipping with one another, they were praying together. They were praying together. The hallmark of the Christian community, I think, is the proclamation of the Word, prayer, fellowshipping, and loving God and loving one another. And I can't stress this enough. You know, gathering together as believers and not spending time in prayer, the only metaphor I could come up with, because I want to make it absurd, would be like going to participate in a, in a running race, getting all dressed up, all fueled up, hydrated, showing up, and never running. It makes no sense. If we are gathering together as believers for the purpose of communing together and communing with God, we've got to be praying. Now, this is I do not want to, you to hear this as a guilt trip. I want to lay out all the various times that we should be praying together. But I, but I do just want to give you the opportunities and let you know some of the things we do. One of the things that is just a special sweet time for me is that... Um, on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, we meet down here in one of the Sunday school classes and we just spend time praying. As uh, Tracy mentioned, as the elders, as we meet twice a month, we spend time praying for you. One of those meetings, all we do is pray for you. And it's just such a sweet time of fellowship with the elders. When we do our elders retreat, we spend eight plus hours praying. In our growth groups, what I'm hoping one of, it should be, one of the things that's going on in the growth groups is that we're praying for one another. I know we do this in Sunday school classes. Prayer should just be part of the natural rhythm of who we are and what we do. One of the reasons we put out prayer requests in the midweek announcer is so that you will be praying for your other brothers and sisters who are part of this fellowship because it's needed. It binds you together 
with them. Got to go quickly here. Look at verse 43 as we're talking about what was going on in this first church. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. So, just real quickly, and this may wade into a little bit of controversy, and that's okay, I'll take the controversy, but um, in verse 43, I think there are two things that are going on here. One is that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And you say, well, Lewis, what in the world was that? And I would say, I don't know about you, but as we were singing this morning, especially the last song, all the songs, but especially the last song, I felt a sense of awe about how good and great our God is. And as Christians gather together and commune around the idea of who God is and what He has done for us, there should be a sense of awe because there should be a sense of that's what we are proclaiming to one another. Now, we're not going to talk a lot about this morning. The second part of this, that uh, many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Um, this is maybe one of those areas in the book of Acts where this is descriptive that some churches take as descriptive. Uh, and I don't think that we have apostles today. The, uh, the apostles were given to the first church and when they died, their apostleship died. And so these wonders and signs that were taking place, and as you read the book of Acts, you see the apostles going and many signs and wonders taking place. Peter's shadow causes signs and wonders. This does not mean that things don't happen in the gathering that are signs and wonders that we need to be proclaiming and talking about. Uh, I just think here in this text, it's talking about something a little different. Let's go down to verse 44. Let's go down to verse 44. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Now, think about this. Think about this. That every individual who belonged to the New Testament church, so the, the whole global big Catholic church, they were all together at this point. And they had all things in common. Now, at this point, it was probable that they were all Jewish. But there were males, there were females, there were children, there were rich, there were poor, there were people who had kids, people who didn't have kids, there were people who could sing real well, there were people who couldn't. You know, they were all gathered together. And it says that they had all things in common. And so when it says they had all things in common, the thing that made them a, a, a group that looked the same wasn't that they looked the same or talked the same or had similar life experiences. The, the thing that... that bound them all together in common, was that they had all been changed. And whatever they were before, now their identity was a Christ follower. And it defined them. And because that defined them, they had all things in common. As I look around this room, that should be us. Many of you come from different walks of life, from various places, and do various things, and have various numbers of kids, and, or no kids, married, unmarried. But as we gather here together, there should be a sense that we have all things in common, because the most important thing about us, the defining characteristic that we share, is that we are His. And if that is in place, then this next thing makes complete sense that we see in the text. 
And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all anyone who might have a need. Now, Gary, for years, has been saying that he needs a helicopter. We're going to get the baskets back. At, no, I'm just teasing. That's not what we're doing. And he really hasn't said a helicopter. Hot tub. No, just kidding. But what was going on and what makes sense is that all these people were being saved. And, and, and as this was happening, there were people with great needs. And what you see happening in the church from the very beginning is that the people felt as a family. They felt that they had all things in common. And what makes sense is that if my son needs something, if my son needed a, a surgery or if he needed Something, if he was living on the street, if he had gotten kicked out and if he was living in another country and needed something, I would do whatever I could to support my son. And what was happening in this gathering of believers is that they were thinking the same way. Now, this verse has been misinterpreted. And in my younger years, uh, uh, when, when God really got a hold of my life in college, uh, and people don't believe this, I need to bring in photos of, uh, I was somewhat of a hippie, long hair, long beard, uh, and so as God really got a hold of my life and I started reading back through the New Testament, this was like, oh yeah, this is cool, man. Communism. I wasn't a communist, but, you know, that's what we call it now. Yeah, we just need to live in peace and everybody. That's not what this text is saying. And you may say, Lewis, how do you know that? And so let me give you just two examples. One, in this, the very next verse, it says, day by day, continuing with one mind and in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. In order to meet in the house, it means there was a house, so not everybody sold all their houses. See that? Another place, as we get a little further in Acts chapter 5, but a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira had sold a piece of property and kept some back for the price of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it he laid it at the apostles feet but Peter said Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land now notice he is in trouble for lying not for the fact that he had sold his property and was bringing money because look at this very next verse while it remained unsold notice what, he's, notice what uh, Peter says to him did it not remain your own and even after it was sold, was it not under your control? So in other words, and we see this all throughout the New Testament, that we don't see Christians commanded to not own a home. It's okay to own private property. The key here, and I don't want us to get caught up in this, the key here, the key here, is that everything we have, that we own, we are merely stewards of. And that we should be living open-handedly so that if our brothers and sisters, if our family members are in need, that we are willing to meet those needs. That's why we have the benevolence offering the fifth Sunday of every month. One of the joy of my heart uh, is to sit in an elder's room when a need comes up. And let's say there's a need within the body and it's uh, $8,000 or $2,000 and we only have half of that in the benevolence fund. The attitude of your elders is, let's do it. We give. It's not ours. You know, we give. Now, we, we, we try to do that wisely. 
that sort of thing, but we view it as uh, it, it's not ours, and I think we need to view our own possessions and our own things as not ours as well. So extremely generous. And that in the meeting together, that the lines of demarcation, the lines of things that separate us are diffuse. They're not rigid. We are all together, all one, with love for one another, giving of our time and our talents and our treasures in order to meet the needs in and among you. The next thing that I want you to see, look in verse 46. And I was giving Tracy a hard time because he was going to read from the ESV, and the ESV that I was reading from this week didn't have the same wording here. And it's, it's in the Greek. Uh, And there's an emphasis here. So notice in verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And I think the repetitions of the word day and house are, are, are put in the text because what it is describing to us, it's describing a rhythm. A rhythm. A rhythm of life. Day by day. House to house. This is what body life looks like in a church. This is what we should be doing. It's a, it's a day by day. It's a house by house. It's not a one time a week. Body life. And that's where, again, we, we try to structure things here, whether it's growth groups or the various other things that we have, where we're trying to push us together to get to know one another so that this rhythm begins to take place in and among us. Now notice in, in verse uh, 46, uh, it, it says, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. It's interesting to me, uh, and we see, if we look, you may say, Whoa, Lewis, they're still going to the temple. Absolutely. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the ninth hour of prayer. In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and Sadducees, And the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. For this early church, for this early church, they didn't reject the temple. They saw Christ as the Messiah of Israel and saw him as the fulfillment, and so they continued to gather. They continued to do the temple prayers, they continued to do some of the temple stuff. They just did it with a renewed sense of vigor and they were proclaiming Christ in the middle of that temple. So we see that they were meeting at a place, at a building in order to do this. And so, again, that's why coming here and having this building is not a bad idea at all. Now, now the last two verses, I want you to notice a couple of things in these last two verses. They were taking their meals together, notice, with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Notice the attitude. Notice what was coming out of them. First, first, notice this, gladness and sincerity of heart. You know, sometimes the southern church has been characterized as the, oh, bless your sweetheart. As Southerners, uh, rightfully so, uh, we have been characterized as a people who would lie to your face. There's not a sincerity of heart. There's a, oh, here's what I'm supposed to say. 
We're going to be talking about next week, fellowship and what that looks like and fellowship through conflict. What I want you to see here is that the, the, the gladness was not fake. As people came and gathered together, there was a real, genuine happiness and a sincerity in that gladness of heart. And notice what they were gathering and what they were doing. In verse 47, they were praising God. They were praising God. They were worshiping. That's why when we gather together, we should be a worshiping people. And in about two months, we're going to talk about what is worship and what should worship look like and what should the center of worship be. We should be a worshiping, we are a worshiping people, but we should be a people who worship God. And our gatherings should be symbolized by that, giving praise and glory and honor to God. Also notice, as it's, as it's talking about uh, some of these characteristics, it says, having favor with all the people. Having favor with all the people. Now, what I don't know... Um, and I think we can take this two ways, but, but I think either way is, is the, the point is the same. When it says, it says having favor with all the people, does all the people mean the people in the church, the 3,000? Or does all the people mean all the people that are around? Don't know. Doesn't really matter. Here's the point. Here's the point. When we are living out our faith, when we are recognizing what God has done for us and the love that He has given us, the thing that comes out of us is love and generosity and care and concern. And when God changes us and, and changes us into that kind of people, then the people we come in contact with and interact with, they look at us with favor. All throughout the centuries, from the very beginning on, the church has been characterized, the people, the true people of God have been characterized as good people for society. Now, we can get into a debate over, um, we, could, we could get into a debate. But here's what I want to say. One of the things is Gary and I were meeting last Wednesday and talking about um, this sermon series and just thanking God for, for you as a body um, one of the things that Gary and I started, and I won't go into the stories, um, but one of the things that's interesting is that I, I, can, I can go down rows and say one of the joys as a pastor of this local group of people that are gathered together, um, literally, I could, I could give probably right off the top of my head about 20 uh, times when I've come into contact with somebody that maybe one of you worked with or helped out in a situation or whatever, and, and they say, oh, you know... Uh, I'll just pick on Gary. Oh, you know Gary Phillips? Yeah, I know Gary Phillips. And they just start talking, a non-believer, talking about how wonderful Gary is. And Gary can share the same thing, that, that, that as we come in contact with people, and it just warms our heart to know that you're living out the gospel. And, and, that you're, and what follows that is your reputation. Not for the sake of reputation, but it's because who you are. My favorite testimonies are this. And you may say, Lewis, you're weird. And yes, you're right. My favorite testimonies are something like this. Man, yeah, that Gary, he's a little bit of an odd cat, but he is a great person. Meaning, the reason I love those 
not because I think you all are all a bunch of weirdos, some of you, <laughs> but, but the reason I love that is because what it's showing is that what they're seeing in Gary is not necessarily a status symbol or something that adds to them, but they're seeing his heart. And we just see that all the time, and that just warms my heart. Now, the last thing that we see in this text. Oh, my goodness, the clock's wrong. (laughs) That's not what we see in the text, but the clock is wrong. Very quickly, the last thing we see to the text is, is, and the Lord was adding to their number daily. Evangelism was taking place and was taking place as part of the church, and it's part of our mission, and it's part of who we are. Now, to end, I just want to say this. Help us be this kind of church. Help us be this kind of church. Have these expectations. Hold us as your elders to these expectations. Love us enough to, to, to put this out before us. Love us enough to, to see if there's something that's going awry that you may say, hey, you know, Lewis, in the, you know, in, in the book of Romans it says this, or in First in Timothy, it, 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 you know, Paul is exhorting Timothy to do this, and that's loving us well. We want to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, what He has called us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank You. God, I thank You for Sunga Mountain Bible Church. I thank You for this peculiar group of people who have been taught well. Help us to love one another well. Help us to stand firm in the faith. Help us to be a church that in generations from now looks more and more like Your bride, how You intended us to be. God, thank you for this. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'll take a hymn book and turn to hymn number 363, we're going to close.